opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. You know, Wobbles, I'm kind of mad at you. And as a reasonable man, I'm willing to do whatever's necessary to find a peaceful solution to this problem. All right, well, welcome to episode two of the Punching Up Movie Podcast, where two long-standing friends and movie lovers um, take issue with films that are of classic status or cult classic status or are just extremely popular. And so this week we are, Punching Up is, is dealing with the films literally about punching. It's um, Raging Bull. So, so before we... Before we sort of go into what either mine or Damien's or both of our sort of issue is with the film, um, we're going to do a little, uh, so we don't assume context, we don't assume knowledge of the film. So we're just going to do a little bit of um, uh, preamble about, you know, the making of the film and what the film is. So Damien, how would you describe the plot of Raging Bull? A brutal biopic about the life of boxer Jake LaMotta from uh, 1941 to 1964. China's journey from like contender through to champion, through to post-boxing life. Yeah. Yeah, and, and his focusing on his, his downfall because, you know, in, in between the fights, there's um, a sort of downward spiral where he can't switch off, you know, the things that make him a great fighter which is ability to take punishment and an incredible amount of aggression and mix that in with a lot of um, sexual jealousy. It, it results in this, this, this sort of sequence, this repeated sequence of, of, of beating up his wives and then ultimately turning on the one person who's, who's kind of with him through thick and thin, which is his brother, who's played by Joe Pesci. So that's, that's the plot in a nutshell. It's quite a simple plot. It's quite a complex film. Yeah. So R Raging Bull comes at an interesting point in Martin Scorsese's career. So he sort of, um, you know, he, he, start, he starts off making sort of ex short films uh, like Italian American and then sort of, you know, makes, makes a sort of exploitation film for Roger Corman, Boxcar Bertha. Um, and, th and, then, and then that leads to Mean Streets, which, you know, is a sort of semi-autobiographical film about, sort of gangsters and Catholics in Little Italy and, and that kind of, that, that launches him uh, and, 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 and establishes him as a, as, as a real sort of one to watch. Um, and, and he sort of follows that up, not, not immediately, but he follows it up with Taxi Driver, which is this sort of incredible um, study of a isolated ticking bomb in the sleaziest parts of New York, you know, and, and, and it's his second movie with Robert De Niro. and then. He makes, I think he makes the last waltz, doesn't he? In, in, in the middle of all of that concert film with the band. And then he makes New York, New York. And New York, New York is a passion project about a, a saxophonist played by Robert De Niro and his relationship with um, Lisa Minnelli. And it absolutely tanks at the box office. At this point, he's, he's, he's clocked up a lot of kind of commercial momentum and Oscar momentum, especially with Taxi Driver. And it's all pretty much wiped out by um, New York, New York and Scorsese is basically a very low personal ebb. In the middle of all of this, he's, 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 he's having massive addiction problems. So he's got this enormous cocaine habit that results in him hemorrhaging blood 
um, ended up in hospital nearly dying. Yeah, out of his ears, is that what you're doing? Yeah, apparently but, out of orifices, he was like bleeding oh, wow. everywhere, so yeah. Yeah, Pretty okay, intense. yeah, so, so uh, he, he, yeah, out of his ears and every other orifice. And he's in the hospital, and running concurrent with this is Robert De Niro's obsession with the boxer Jake LaMotta. Now he's given this, this book by Jake LaMotta, um, his biography, and Jake LaMotta inscribes in this book, I think something like, you know, Bobby, only you can play uh, me and my a whacked out version of my life. And so it's not a very well written book and, and, and De Niro, but he's obsessed with what he can do with Jake LaMotta and, you know, the, 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 the sort of themes of suffering and, you know, and sort of violence and this man at war with himself. And, and so he keeps pressing this book on, on, on Scorsese and Scorsese's not really interested because he's not, remotely into sports definitely not into boxing and then as he's in hospital uh, presumably as De Niro is visiting him in hospital um and and you know and he, he still insists on sort of saying well why don't you turn this into a into a book and, and this coincides with into a film sorry this book into a film and this coincides with Scorsese deciding he's gonna have one last he, does, he wants to live that's the important thing um and he starts addressing his addiction issues and he thinks his career's done. So he thinks, oh, I've got nothing to lose. I'm, I'm probably never going to make another film in America again. So I've got the opportunity to make this movie because De Niro at this point is kind of probably, would you say Damien's probably his apex as an actor and a star? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is the end of the seventies and he's done, you know, he's won an Oscar for Godfather two. He's done his two Scorsese movies and he's done the deer hunter in the middle of all of that and other stuff I've probably forgotten. And New York, New York probably hasn't damaged him as much as it's damaged Scorsese. And so he sort of throws in uh, with De Niro and, and he decides to just go for broke with this piece of filmmaking. And he's thinking, well, I'm probably never going to make another movie in America. If this fails, I'm going to go to France. I'm never going to come back and I'm going to make small art house movies. So, so he just, assembles this incredible team of collaborators. So the film's initially written, I'll just have to consult my notes, because he's, he's, he's a writer that sort of gets a little bit left out of the, uh, the sort of Scorsese dream team. Um, yeah, Marduk Martin, who helped him mm. write sort of, yeah, Mean Streets and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And, you know, he, he writes the initial screenplay um, De Niro's not happy with it. So De Niro brings in the screenwriter of, of Taxi Driver, Paul Schrader. And what Paul Schrader adds to the screenplay is more violence, um, too much violence, actually, because some of the stuff in, in, in the screenplay is like taken out, not filmed, because it, it, it's just too alienating early on in the movie. Um, but, but, but the things he crucially adds are... Lamotta in his autobiography just doesn't mention his brother at all or, or, or you know because they'd had this massive falling out if you see the film you understand why they falling fell out and and so and so um you know Schrader reintroduces the brother into the screenplay makes him the crucial character and and and, and adds the sort of postscript of Jake Lamotta going to seed later in life putting on loads of weight becoming this abysmal horrible sleazy nightclub comic um and and then and then they, they start shooting the movie i think i think de niro and and and, and scorsese go away to to um the caribbean i think it is yeah. and they they have three weeks where they they rewrite the film and rework it and then he he brings thelma shoemaker in as as the editor who he's worked with on woodstock and has has edited um uh you know alice doesn't live here anymore and then 
and, and she and she and she just comes into her element as, as an editor and and they film it in black and white at the at the insistence of of, of Scorsese's mentor, the the director Michael Powell, and 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 they, and they they just throw every sort of technical trick in the book, especially in the fight sequences, which are storyboarded to a T, and and um, and are just you know just 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 filmed using these incre- this incredible sound design where every punch thrown is a completely different sound different. effect. And they use use things like, did you know this, uh, Damien, they use like the slowed down sound of an elephant yeah. um, to, 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 to do an abstract version of De Niro's breathing after he's been punched and all of that sort of stuff. And much, much more stuff than we, we've got time to go into. Uh, the casting is amazing. It, it, yeah, they, they, they bring Joe Pesci on, it really clicks with De Niro. Uh, Joe Pesci discovers this swimsuit model called Kathy Moriarty at a, at a nightclub, and and um, you know Scorsese pours everything pours everything into this movie. Uh, it gets released. Uh, I think that the, the head of United Artists, after seeing it, I mean, we were talking last time in, in the previous episode about the reaction after the screening of of two thousand and one was walkouts, silence. And jeering, and there was silence after this. But it was a different type of silence. And then the head of United Artists—I can't remember his name—turns to Scorsese, calls him an artist. The film's released, and what what Scorsese calls his kamikaze filmmaking results in this incredible kind of critical, and I think commercial success. And it, and it, it's nominated for multiple Oscars. Loses most of them controversially to Ordinary People, but not De Niro. And so De Niro... Um, or Schoonmaker, she wins for editing as well, doesn't she? Yeah, she wins for editing, and she was incredibly nervous sort of making the movie. And, 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 and um, but, but what it does, I mean, you know, you could argue that Robert Redford with Ordinary People wins, wins the battle, but Scorsese wins the war, because this movie that was going to be his last movie, um, that he throws everything into, establishes him, you know, until this day, as, as you know, the American, the great American auteur who someone's always going to throw money at, always going to allow to more or less do what he wants to do. And he's still out there today making movies that are sort of set in, I think his, last, his, his most recent movie was Killers of the Flower Moon, which hasn't come out at the time of recording. has just done really well at Cannes. It's already been heralded as one of the best things he's done, you know, and he's still working with De Niro. And I have an issue with the film. <laughs> And I think, am I right thinking you you may share this issue? So we're not, we're not going to be well, quite... Well, I did share this issue, but yeah. doing the research, I yeah. recanted that issue. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can go at it, can't we? Yeah. Can, can I say can I say what the issue is? Please, I just, I've talk, I'm, please. I'm, I'm aware that I've just talked solidly probably for That's about okay. five minutes. That's okay. Yeah. So, a couple of quotes. Now, the, pro- the problem the problem for a lot of viewers with... with um, Raging Bull is it's relentlessly violent. Well, I mean, all, a lot, a lot of Scorsese films are relentlessly violent, but it's re- relentlessly violent, you know, in, in terms of depicting uh, Robert De Niro's relationship with women. I think he has two wives. He beats them both up. He um, ultimately turns on his own brother, and 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 I, I think maybe the most disturbing film scene in the film beats him mm. up in front of his wife and children and stuff like that. And then he's alone, you know, and 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 that's that's kind of, you know, the the the, the sort of the downward spiral is he he sort of isolates himself and whatnot. Um, I haven't got a problem with that as a storytelling device of depicting a man who, for all intents and purposes, is actually a lot worse than the film depicts him. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, even he admits that. There's this yeah. great, not a quote where you watch the film was horrified. 
I mean, he was he was kind of all in. He initiated the film, turns to his wife at the time, and he he had lots of wives, as you can understand. Uh, you can understand why he's got. You can't understand why people like. You can understand why he lost wives. You can't really understand why he got them, and especially later on in life. And 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 he he looks at his wife and he says, "Was I like that?" She goes, "No, you were worse," which is hard to believe watching the film, you know, because he's he's he's, he's pretty bad. Um, I'm going to read a Barry Norman quote. Um, and 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 this and this Barry this Barry Norman quote is from his like hundred best films of the century book, and he says, he says, um, he, he says De Niro, who took dedication to his craft as far as to put on sixty pounds to play the older, fatter Lamotta, is outstandingly good as a man in whom rage, frustration, and bewilderment struggle for supremacy. Not a likable man, perhaps, but one ultimately deserving of our sympathy and even pity. And I think that's what the film sort of has has to hinge on. He is a dark, dark man. He 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 he's he's a man who, you know, sort of, kind of has it all in terms of his career, and and then and then at every point, absolutely burns his bridges, scorches the earth around him, and destroys everything that's of value to him. That he doesn't seem to put that much value in, to be honest. And my my issue with the film, and I have to say, I think this film is a masterpiece. I think it's an astonishing movie, brilliantly made. Robert De Niro, it's hard to argue with him getting the Oscar. It's a phenomenal performance. But, but I would argue that maybe he does his job too well. And there's nothing remotely to latch on to about Lamotta that it, it even makes you feel the pity and sympathy that Barry Norman suggests the film achieves. And so it kind of takes me out of the movie um, because he's so unremittingly unpleasant and nasty what do you think yeah he is um so i've got this quote from scorsese which kind of talks about that um he says we found trying to tell the story from the beginning as to young man because when they were first uh, putting it together they had um the beginning section as him, him as a young child and lots of explaining how he came to be who he mm. became. Um, it says it just, it just sucked in a kind of old fashioned way of making movies and writing stories because it made the audience feel at ease because everything about the characters in the film is explained. So you'd feel, okay, he came from a bad neighborhood. He became a thief in order to survive. And now we understand that it makes everybody feel good in a way and go home and kind of makes them stop thinking about him. And the idea was we wanted to make it more powerful than doing him as a human being, accept him as he is or not accept him and not rely on antiquated ideas of motivation because nothing's that simple. And then it gets to the end of the film. Uh, we fast forward in a little bit. And the quote is um, the biblical quote from the gospel according to John, um, whether or not he is a sinner, I do not know. All I know is this once I was blind and now I can see. Oh, now. Yeah, now I can see. And um, when they were in the Caribbean, De Niro and Scorsese, they would just as they were doing passes over the script, they were just stripping back all that explanation, stripping it, stripping it back and kind of showing it, showing him as a person from this time to this time and allowing the viewers to just experience him viscerally. And Mm. I get that. When I heard that quote that he said in the commentary, I was like, yeah, I understand. 
there are so many films that over-explain or explain. There's there's literally like zero psychology in this film, apart from mm. what you see on the screen. And your uh, interpretation of the psychology is really up to you. Mm. Um, so I kind of get it. I get it. Um, I think that it might have detracted had they put in more of the reasoning why he was such a brute, you know, how he was brutalized by his dad when he was young. He did, he did like backroom. His dad made him do backroom bar fights for like pennies that um, when he was eight years old that his dad kept most of the money for. Um, apparently at one point his dad went, when they were young, his dad went out onto the porch, let a gunshot off and came back in and said, um, Santa just committed suicide. <laughs> uh, it, you know, obviously, awesome. yeah, those, those kind of things do explain how he mm -hmm. is, as you said, the book maybe wasn't written very well, um, yeah. and probably not as, uh, incisive as it could have been being as it was written by him. I haven't read the book. Have you read the book? No, I haven't. No, I no, I haven't. I haven't read the book. Um, I, rem I remember. I remember when we were at drama school, uh, a guy I shared a house with who was kind of obsessed with Lamotta, um, and uh, and De Niro had read the book and did make the point that the the, the the book was far more disturbing than the film. That there was so much mm. stuff that they sort of excised. But that, that's not really my, my my issue. I don't. I don't. <clears throat> I don't need sort of necessarily someone's background being explained. I'm I'm quite happy being dropped into the middle of someone's life and sort of figuring out the context and 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 sort of figuring out by inference what may or may not have made him like that or, or i don't even really need to explain my my, my riposte to that would be taxi driver so ta taxi driver plops us into the middle of a man who has he he you've only got his his explanation of himself he doesn't really explain himself and he's an unreliable narrator and he's a ticking bomb and he's played by exactly the same actor and it's got to an extent the same writer the same director so it's almost like the same team um working on this character and travis bickle in taxi driver is more disturbed and more dangerous than jake lamotta because this guy is effectively a murderer you know he's 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 this, he's this guy looking looking for people to kill looking for some kind of righteous framework to explode at because he needs to kill you know for whatever reason and that's not really explained it's not explained who he is there's inferences that he might have been in Vietnam, um, uh, but we don't we don't know. All we know about him is what he tells us in his diaries, and that's not necessarily reliable. And 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 and, and the scenes that should really kind of distance you from him, like when he goes on a date with uh, Sybil Shepherd and he takes her to a porn cinema, and it seems like in his own mind he doesn't see why that would be the worst date mm. that, that he you know, and and you know, and it obviously. He, you know, he 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 has this very protective fascination with uh, Jodie Foster, who's like a sort of child prostitute, and, and 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 you can argue that the violence is always sort of directed at people who sort of deserve it, like Harvey Keitel's pimp, and you know the mugger that he kills. Does he kill a mugger? I can't remember if he kills a mugger. Or, yeah, he, he, you know, I, I, it's been a while since I've seen the film. It's been a while and, me, so, yeah. and, so, and so that sort of mitigates against the kind of revulsion that you might feel for him because. Lamotta, when he's not beating people up in the ring, he's beating women up, or he beats his yeah. brother. Up. But but he's but he's a deeply disturbed and disturbing character in Taxi Driver. Yeah, there's something about him that makes you pity him, and and makes you kind of want to go on this really dark journey with him. Whereas... Do you think that is sorry? Do you, 
sorry no, no, to interrupt on. do you think that yeah. is because he's so protective over Jodie Foster like there's I think so, there, yeah. you know that's quite a key bit whereas in Raging Bull you don't really have anything to latch onto with Jake no. Lamotta, do you? There's not, there's not one moment yeah. where you think, okay, because the only bit of moral sort of high ground that he has is that he doesn't want to work with the mob. He doesn't want yeah. to throw fights. That's the only thing you have. Otherwise, everything else is quite repugnant, right? His behaviour. Mm. But but, that, but that's another manifestation of the thing that that, that causes him to, to beat beat his nearest and dearest. It's pride, isn't it? He has this incredible pride, and and, and I suppose the the nearest. He comes to integrity is 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 you know the fact that no no one's knocked him knocked him out you know so he's got a really yeah. disturbing sequence knocked brilliant sequence where Sugar mm -hmm. Ray Robinson absolutely smashes him to bits and mm -hmm. and his his response is you never put me down and and, mm -hmm. and Sugar Ray Robinson's response is like who are you you know so <laughs> what you know you're a lunatic and you know and and and, and, the, and the, he, he doesn't throw fights he doesn't work with the mob until he has to and that and that triggers like the most self loathing more more than any punishment he visits on. Except his brother, I think he feels real shame about his brother and they have that really sort of sad sequence where he's trying to reconcile with his brother. His brother didn't want anything to do with him. Um, yeah, I think I think there's elements by which, you know, you, you know, in Taxi Drive, you see two ways it could go because in the first half, he's gearing up to kill a president. You know, he, he, see, he, seem, he seems to need to rescue women. And, and, and in the first half, it's all about his obsession with Sybil Shepherd. And then he's gearing up to, and she works in a, you know, she works as a campaign manager, doesn't she, for a... A local politician and he's clearly gearing up to kill her to kill not to kill her to kill the politician and then that's thwarted and then in the second half he sort of takes all of that psychopathology and diverts it towards ostensibly on paper a more righteous cause which is rescuing a young girl from a pimp who arguably doesn't want to be rescued you know and so yeah. so you've got that that's the weird thing she seems to have that's that she seems to kind of quite you know, have this strange sort of stockholm syndrome attachment to her pimp and so I think I think you, you're right in the there's elements, you know, it's, it's, it's probably a subtler character in that sense because you go on his journey, you see things from his point of view, and you have to step back from the film to see just how he's, he's just a ticking bomb looking for looking for a righteous excuse to unleash all this anger, and it just taxi happens driver. to be yeah, taxi driver, uh, yeah. Whereas in, I, yeah, come yeah. Whereas I, I think I think the thing that disturbs me about Jake Lamotta is I don't think unless I'm very very unlucky. I, I would ever find myself with a Travis Bickle. Um, yeah. You might do, you know, but, but you, you wouldn't necessarily be aware of it. Whereas, you know, I think we've all met, to a greater extent, a Lamotta, a guy that you, you sit in the room with and you watch what you say, you know, and because and, 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 they're violent, you know, and, and they, you know, there's a certain charisma about them, but, you know, you, you, there's a tension, constant tension about them and, you know, and, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know if that if that's something that slightly takes me out of the movie, but I I think I think you've got, you know, I mean, we we talked about this in the sort of preparatory discussions about this. If you if you compare, and it's a bit of a strange thing to do, if you compare comparable characters to Lamotta, and 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 there's two that we talked about. There's there's Ray Winston in Nil by Mouth, and then there's Tamura Morrison, sort of Maori gang leader in Once Were Warriors, and these are both guys who visit horrific like violence on on their on their partners um yet you kind of understand in both of them why kathy burke in spite of everything that, that he does to her why she might go back to him and and, and you have those moments and admittedly um 
Once for Warrior is a little bit more of a schematic film, isn't it? It's more of a movie movie. Mm. Um, but but you see those beautiful sequences where like Tamira Morrison's with his family and they're relaxing and they're singing a song together that they all and it's like this little and, and you see you see why his violence might attract people because the first thing you see him do is just just basically just destroy a barroom thug that's come in and disrupted the peace of his you know his his like little little dad his little bar that he kind of holds court in and also both of those films are told from the points of view of the women as well so there's automatically that that sort of shift in perspective and, and i think in terms of raging ball it's brave it's incredibly brave just to stick you in the middle of jake lamotta not not really tell it from kathy moriarty's point of view telling it from his point of view and you're constantly given his point of view and 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 uh and 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 I think I think it's a brave film, but I think I think it's almost like De Niro does his job too well and, and distances you too. So 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 it is is a bit of an endurance test towards the end. And by the end, you're thinking, I just want to get out of this man's company. You know, I don't I don't want to stay in this man's company. And 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 you don't have those heights. You don't get the sense that it's not really. I don't think it's a rise and fall film because what does he achieve? Is 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 his heights don't seem that high, and everything about his life seems grubby and base and and. You know, he, he just seems to have lost before he's won. If that, you know, that makes sense. So, so I'm just rambling now. So please, no, that's okay. Going. Even when he um, wins the 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 championship, yeah. uh, you never really feel there's a um, a celebration. No, you, you know, like as you say, it just it does just feel like a sort of downward spiral. This violent mm. man um, destroying himself and everything about him. There's a there's a quote that I read. Jonathan Demi had given. Martin Scorsese, a uh, painting by a folk artist of Jake LaMotta. And it said on it, Jake fought like he didn't deserve to live. Mm. I thought that was quite, and then Scorsese says, you know, that's pretty much like I made a yeah. whole film about that and he, this guy just wrote it in a, a line. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is kind of true, isn't it? Like, you know, you it know, he, all, he want, all he wants is to be the champion, like apparently, mm. but yeah. when he becomes yeah. that champion, finally, this, it's, it's emptiness. There's no, yeah. I suppose it's probably like a lot of sports people who have this, um, uh, this drive to get, to, to get to the top of the pile. And then when you get to the top of the pile, there's still you. You're still yeah. there. There's, you're not different. You haven't suddenly been transformed into this champion, into this Olympian, into this great winner. There's still you and your demons. And Yeah. But, but, why, but why isn't that more tragic in the film? I think that's my issue with it. It's tra- you see other films where it's, tra- it's tragic in The Godfather. You know, you see in over two Godfather movies, you see Michael Coyle, but you do see you do see him morally degenerate subtly, don't you, by degrees? But yeah. by the end, he's he's all powerful, but he's on his own. You know, he's he's and he doesn't even necessarily realize or acknowledge or care that he's mm. lost everything. You know, he's he's, he's you know he's he's killed his he brother. He accepts the deal that he's made, right? Yeah, and and he, and it seems almost like he accepts that, and, and, and but you feel the tragedy of it. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of other examples. Well, you know, in 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 um, at the end of Once Were Warriors, where you, you have, um, I realise we're giving away the ends of loads of these movies, but it's like you know you've got Tamira Morrison sort of sitting there on his own, waiting for the police to turn up, having lost everything, and there's a tragedy to it. You see how he's a king. Mm. You see how he's ultimately left with 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 the the, the part of his character that that really drives him and overrides everything else, which is his violence. Um, 
and uh, and, you, and you were saying because I hadn't seen the Mill by Mouth for, since it came out. I think in the was it in the nineteen nineties, and you, you, like, you, and I'd forgotten the end. I'd forgotten that you know that, that it ends with a kind of weird sort of reconciliation that might yeah. might be the the whole thing ticking over again. You know, so you've got you've got that as well. That's that. that which, or which, I mean, I suppose with Nil by Mouth, it's like it could mm. be ticking over again, or it could be potentially like a, a, a new chapter. Yeah, yeah, he's learned, yeah, he's he's kind of he's 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 seen who he is and he's hor horrified by it. Yeah, yeah. But, and but why yeah. why isn't it? I think that's the thing. Why isn't it more tragic? Why don't I feel like the loss of of Jake Lamotta because I don't I don't like him. From from the mm. first from the first, I think that's the key. From from the get go, I don't like him. I don't like him. I I, I don't think he deserves anything. He's from from the, the first thing you see him in. I think it's almost within ten minutes, he's just throwing his dinner at his wife, and you know complaining about a threat yeah. to the threat beat her up. being cooked. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just and you just think, and then, and then he's like he's like threatening to kill his neighbor's dog, and 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 you, and you think, can you imagine living in a block with a man like that? And, and and at no point do you see what even when he's like romancing um sort of Kathy Moriarty's character, which is disturbing in itself because they established, don't they, she's 15 years old and he's like, I don't know, he's probably out 28 at the time. Yeah. And you don't see the charm in the man. You think this this is this is creepy, this is sleazy. The the the, the, the character that and, and this and, and he's a deceptively dark character, the character that that is the life of the film is 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 your point of human contact, is Joe Pesci. And, and and Joe Pesci, you think I could hang out with him, but he but he's he's reasonable, a reasonable man. <laughs> well, but only by comparison to you know he's, yeah. he's he's an appalling husband. But yeah, you have that incredible scene, which I always remembered as being like a bit more provoked than it is, where he takes like Frank Vincent out, um, who just seems to exist in in, in Scorsese films to be abused and destroyed yeah. by because he's the same guy that actually kills, you know, for for making a making a quip about him in. Yeah. Goodfellas, isn't it? You know, so mm. so, you know, and so so when he when he sort of demolishes him in the nightclub, it, it's it's sort of barely provoked, and you feel sorry for Frank Vincent, and so that that's his that's his horrific act, and he's a bad husband, you know, he's like got his mistresses, he's like, you know, um, but you like him, I think because he's played by Pesci, you know, and, and there's I think there's a David Thompson quote um, where it, it talks about it says De Niro resists charm. And, oh, I, and I think, yeah, yeah, and I think he's at, at his most charmless here, and he's utterly serving the character, utterly serving it. You can't fault him as an actor, but you don't feel. I don't feel the fall. I don't feel the tragedy of him going from, you know, losing his family. I don't feel the tragedy. You think good, they're they're, they're well off without him, you know, just yeah. you know, and, and you don't feel the tragedy of him destroying his body, you know, just just almost deliberately, because because there's that injection of of kind of Scorsese Catholic. Redemption through punishment, All over it. which which ultimately leads to damnation because it's not yeah. a route to to redemption. And you know he smashes his hands, doesn't he? Like you know he takes his hands, which are the tools of his trade, smashes them in a police cell wall. You know, famously, which is what De Niro did. You know, sort of just lets lets his body turn to fat. You know, and and, and ends up just doing this sleazy, cheesy, horrible nightclub routine, essentially in a kind of very very narrow strip joint. You know, come dive bar, but, but I don't. I don't feel the tragedy. I don't feel the fall. I don't. I, you know, I think good, good. Let's just leave you there in the gutter. I don't care about. Well, especially you. when in, when at the um, 
at, in his nightclub, he then procures that 15 year old girl that he then goes to prison for, you know? Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's still no redemption. It's not like he's yeah. turned into somebody. He's not like he's learned yeah. his lesson. He's still yeah. kind of, he's still trying to be, um, trying to find adulation, trying to find yeah. fame, trying to, not even yeah. fame, but like he wants to be loved by his audiences, you know? And he is a bit of a sleazeball. Like I saw a David Letterman interview with him, uh, the real Jake LaMotta, maybe a year or mm. a couple of years after. And yeah. he's just a bit cheesy. Like, yeah. like he is in the film. He is that sort of cheesy guy. So he'll say a few little, you know, mm. um, cheesy funny lines that are not that are just not funny and like obviously david letterman yeah. just, you know he's he's not laughing if it's not funny um <laughs> and you can clearly see it he's a guy from a different generation hmm. trying then to find his place yeah i i i hear what you're saying i 100 yeah. hear what you're saying i don't feel the tragedy i think de niro does um resist charm i i Here's a question. What film is De Niro charming in? In his comedies. I mean, it's not it's not it's not the most laudable part of his, his career. Is, yeah, meet the fuckers. <laughs> um, analyze this. Um, yeah, I, I was think thinking weird, analyze this actually. In a weird sort of way, I think he's charming because he's because he's so because because he's a bit adrift. I think he's charming in Jackie Brown. He's he's kind of weirdly lovable. So that when he does the horrible things he does, it's tragic. And, and and you see that in Samuel L. Jackson's reaction to what he does and what Samuel L. Jackson has to do as a consequence, you know. So I think I think but but he's but he's framed by other actors. He's it's a supporting role. Um he's compelling. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to think. He, I, I'm not, what I'm about not his earlier to... roles? Like like those are all older, older roles where you know maybe he's yeah. mellowed out, but I don't know if the if there is much charm in 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 his, you know, it's it's kind of a fake bredat. Bradaccio, Bradac, what's that word? Bragocio. Yeah. Um, Parochio. Uh, Pinocchio. <laughs> Pinocchio. Uh, it's a, it's a, in Mean Streets. Yeah. You know? Well, I think, um, I, I find him really irritating in Mean Streets. I think he's, yeah. I think he's brilliant, but it's like you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't want to be in that guy's, he's on all the time. You wouldn't want to be in that guy. And also, also, he's, he's going to, he's going to wreck every party you're at. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to be the guy that provokes a fight all the time. Yeah. You can see yeah. why some people find he's not charming. He's he's purposefully not charming in the Deer Hunter. He's like, yeah, there's a horrible bit that this is this scene where he's basically kind of berating. Um, but he's not supposed to be. Char he's not supposed to be charming in Raging Bull. But his his purpose he's not is different. charming in Once Upon a Time in America. He's not. No, no, no. I mean, but but and, and it's interesting how they they match him with people who are you know they match him in Once Upon a Time in America to. with yeah with James Woods and and Joe, Joe Pesci turns up as well and. You know they. You know he's surrounded by Walken, who's who's got. He's yeah. He's he is charming. Actually, Walken. Really. I'm not sure. He's not. He's not yeah. charming. That he's compelling in a different way. And John Savage. And yeah. So it's, it's an ensemble piece. And you know, obviously, I've not seen New York, New York, but you know, they're pitching him against Lisa Minnelli and King of Comedy, Jerry Lewis. You know, who's I suppose is charming. I find quite irritating, but he's yeah, you know, same. But yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, yeah. So I think I think what this thought has just occurred to me, and I think he's completely the wrong physical type. But what what if Al Pacino would have played beat for beat, had have played the same role? I mean, he's not he's not physically. You can't imagine him turning himself into a middleweight boxer. He didn't he didn't have that that build. I don't think you know De Niro's a bit more solid. 
But obviously, these are the two guys that are going neck and neck with each other throughout the 70s. But but simply by virtue of Pacino being Pacino, would it have been a different? Well, it would have been a different movie. But would it would would you have felt the um, would would you have felt the the fall the fall from grace if there ever was any grace a bit, I, a bit more if Pacino would have or is that just ridiculous casting? No, 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 no. I think that's quite interesting because hmm. I, I'm thinking about and and I haven't seen it for so many years, but like I think about John Voight in The Champ. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know. I can't really remember the film very much, but I'm thinking like another any kind of other actor who would have played or who has played a boxer mm. in something like this would another actor who had maybe a natural innate charm. I think that's the thing mm. with Christopher Walken. You said he's not very charming in, he's not not charming in Deer Hunter. Um, he you has don't, you like, don't remember the charm. You remember the intensity and the kind of the blankness, don't you? You, you yeah. do, but you have the whole wedding sequence at the start. Mm. And and I think that there, I mean, he's he's uh, Meryl Streep's other high. There's a boyfriend, isn't he? In in I, I, don't, I don't remember. It's been so yeah. long since I've seen it. Yeah. That's good. we should rewatch that for sure. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, I don't I don't have an issue with it, so we can't we can't. No, have no, it. no. <laughs> I just for fun. I think unfortunately. Um, yeah. yeah, I think he he has charisma. I think there's certain. I don't know, like. I don't I mean, want to Brando. say, like, does he not have Brando? Of course, he's got. Yeah, well, like, if you'd have dropped Brando out. from the fifties, yeah, I mean, I mean, and there's and there's direct comparisons because you know, obviously, um, you know, uh, Lamotta, De Niro's Lamotta at the end does. I could have been a contender speech, mm. doesn't he? From from on the waterfront. If you drop Brando into it, you know, you know, you just transported him from whenever, whenever in the fifties, you know, straight out of on the waterfront into this. You, you'd have, you'd have absolutely felt the pain, the tragedy, the fall. Um, yeah, there's, there's, of... sorry. There's there's one bit in. Um, so at the end, when he's doing the, I could have been a contender. It's the end, yeah. isn't it? When he's doing the yeah, contender speech. Yeah. Um, uh, Scorsese was saying they did about like 19 or so takes, and mm. um, and they it was down between two different takes. And what Marty wanted was to strip out any kind of like uh, uh, acting or any kind oh, yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humanity, whereas there's another take that De Niro wanted, which was a little bit more emotive, yeah. and um, and ultimately, I think what what's helped the success of the Scorsese De Niro collaboration was that De Niro always deferred to Scorsese at the end, yeah. like he never he never pushed the point, and 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 in this he could have done, like as you said, he was probably at a higher point in his career than Scorsese was. Um, and could have possibly pushed that, but didn't. Um, and I think that's that leads into the taking away from stripping back and taking away the psychology. So it is just said like as blandly as possible. And maybe yeah. that's what you know. That's I yeah. Know, obviously, that's what he wanted. Scorsese wanted. Mm. It's um, and it, and it works. And it works. You know. Uh, here's here's a here's here's a, here's a thought. Um, because I, I think a comparable performance actually um, from De Niro's um, sort of CV is is the Irishman. In the Irishman, he's you know he's 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 a again he's a character that alienates his family um, because he's a murderer. You know he's 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 a kind of contract killer, kills his best friend, and you feel the tragedy when he gets towards the end of his life and he has nothing. You know and he's in a retirement home. All his friends are dead. Um, and, and Joe Pesci's in it as well, so it invites all sorts of comparisons in a weird sort of way. And 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 you have this this um, charmless man 
who you know is committed to a, li- a lifetime of violence i mean he's 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 a kind of foot, mafia foot soldier par excellence and you know and 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 at the end of his life he gets you know you you you, you see the span of his life don't you and, and and towards the end he's just this man in a retirement home you know confessing to a priest as much as he can maybe he finds god's forgiveness maybe he doesn't that's left up to you but he's nothing you know he's he you know he's nothing you, you know and, and like like lamotta in a way uh except he's even he's more hollowed out he has ostensibly less charisma than lamotta but you feel you feel the tragedy of it you know you feel the mm. loss and you don't with lamotta that brings me to thinking about the end of Once Upon a Time in America, where he yeah. goes and sees um, and realizes that uh, James Woods is still alive, his best friend. Yeah. And you no, know, he said, you know, he wants him to kill him. Uh, he wants De Niro to kill Woods uh, and pushes him by saying, you know, I took everything from you. You know, yeah. I took all these years. And you do feel the tragedy in that. Yeah. Uh, you do feel sorry for De Niro's character, I suppose, you know. Um, even though, again, he's quite charmless and he does horrific things within the film. Oh, worse things, worse, worse things to Absolutely. women. Absolutely. Yeah, worse Absolutely. things to women than he does. Than he does in, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Mm. And yeah, and, 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 that, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I wonder if it's, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I don't, I don't know why. It, I mean, Sergio Leone obviously leans more I mean, we're down, down the line, drama. down the line. In, in, in another episode, we're going to talk about Sergio Leone. And, and, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah, he, I think he leans more towards sentiment. You have that whole sequence before De Niro even turns up where you've got the kids. So you know them as children. You've seen them as... It's, it's, he's doing exactly the thing that Scorsese and De Niro refused to do. Yeah. You see these people as kids and you understand kind of like the journey from childhood sort of Bowery, Bowery boy-style ragamuffins to... Yeah you know, kind of mob bosses and murderers and psychopaths and whatnot, you know. And so so th- th- there's, there's that tragedy in Bill because you spend the first, is it like 40 minutes, hour of the film in the company of children? These, 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 and so that that does a lot of... A lot, and a the lot music of as well is very, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. sweeping. It's very, uh, you know, yeah. operatic. It has yeah. like a definite melodramatic feel to it, doesn't it? And, and this isn't operatic, is it? It's almost going the opposite way. Um because it, it's, it's a tragedy without the traditional sort of ennobling elements that, 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 that pre, you know, that, that sort of prefigure the fall. Um, and and, and here's, here's another thought. If Coppola had directed this, would it be a different movie? Because he's that's a... for sure. Yeah, no, well, obviously it would be a different movie. But would you, dude, would you isn't felt, he? Yeah, that's, that's a stupid thing to say, but it was like, no. from me. But, but it was, what I mean is, it was, if Coppola had directed it, you probably would have felt the tragedy more because he's because he's you know he le- he leans into kind of classical into tragical that. tropes doesn't he also i think the fact that marty was um balls deep in 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 cocaine his cocaine yeah. addiction at the time uh, yeah. uh tends to probably dictates the kind of film that he's making for sure right yeah. um yeah. there is like a um uh, a sort of coldness to it um that like cocaine is really that you know it's not a nice warm drug it's a it's a yeah. cold sort of you know um egotistical uh m- maniacal drug i want to talk about uh, uh briefly about god's lonely men as well paul schrader yeah, yeah yeah briefly but we'll get we'll get to that in a second 
Sean Burns wrote an article about the film and he yeah. said two quotes that I just thought were brilliant. He goes, it's one of those uniquely 1970s movies that should come with a co-directing credit for cocaine. <laughs> but what was, was, because this is what I can't understand, was, was Scorsese, he was off cocaine when he made the film, wasn't he? He just come, or was I, it? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't, I think he was still, I don't think he'd shaken cocaine until afterwards. Maybe he'd had a little try to rehab. Maybe he wasn't on it yeah. while, but I don't think he was fully off it as far as I'm aware. Well, there's um, a great, oh, sorry. No, go on. There's a great um, South Bank show um, interview with Melvin Bragg on the set of, it's either on the set or, or, or shortly after the making of uh, Raging Bull. And he's interviewing Scorsese. Scorsese looks like the character he plays in Taxi Driver. He's got, he's got a real sort of devil beard. And his eyes are just like wired, and he looks like he's at any point he's going to pick up a bottle and smash it over um, Melvin Bragg's head, and he, he just looks wired and terrifying, you know. Mm. And and, and, he, and he's talking in very theological terms with this kind of wired look in his face, you know, like you know. So he's he's obviously sort of processing the film theologically as he does with all of his movies, however ostensibly sort of removed from religious themes they seem it's always a subtext of every one of his movies you know so we, we can talk about god's lonely man now it seems like a nice segue into, yeah just a little yeah. a couple of minutes that's paul schrader for yeah. you isn't it I mean, and, and that yeah. links obviously taxi driver and um uh, la motta and raging bull uh yeah what's your take on on that well i've never really understood what i mean obviously i'm i am religious so my head's in that headspace all the time but i've never quite understood what schrader means by god's lonely man um, is, is it a quote is it a dostoevsky quote or something like that i think he possibly yeah because I, I don't know if it's like a sort of a man adrift aware of god i, I don't actually know what it means i don't know i don't i've never understood what scorsese means but in the same way i i don't quite understand what they're trying to say with the quote from john because obviously it's taken out of context and and it's 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 very much a, a, a quote about the acknowledgement of messiahship of jesus in the gospel of of of, of john and, and so i don't know what 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 sort of illumination lamotta has when i was once i was blind now i could see and unless it's like this self-realization that he's an absolute monster and, and that's it i don't know um that there was there was a because it's recently been been restored which is why we're talking about it we both saw it in different sides of the world and it's 4k mm. restoration and and over here in England, in the Guardian, Peter Bradshaw, the reviewer, kind of unpacks the um, the, the, the quote from the Gospel of John, but it still doesn't make any sense. You know, you know, it just it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, so I, I, I don't, mean that I don't that, know that, that, yeah. that section where he says whether or not he is a sinner, I do not know. Is um, yeah. that seems to me to refer to the fact that they don't lay any uh, judgment upon uh, that. Mike Scorsese doesn't lay a judgment oh, upon right. yeah. uh, Jake Lamotta. Yeah, so, as, which is which is confusing the because the, because the blind man's talking about Jesus. So sure. so, so, that, so that so that takes that takes a real sort of like waltz with with the actual yeah. script completely out of context as a quote that you have to just apply to the movie and and, and just and just divorce any any sort of biblical context from it. So yeah, yeah I, I I mean I understand and 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 I'm fascinated with you know Schre you know I think Schrader's relationship with his. Calvinist past because he almost went to the priesthood. Scorsese almost, almost went, went to the priesthood. priesthood. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Scorsese sort of regained his belief. I would now, I, I would imagine, I, I, you know, he would imagine consider himself a devout practicing Catholic. 
Schrader's on a kind of more interesting journey where he seems to sort of be leaning a little bit more towards reconnecting with his Calvinism in films like First First Reform, but you don't know. There's, there's always that kind of ambiguity and, and sort of ambivalence about it. And, and I, I think when they come together, those two sort of theological positions are absolutely fascinating just to see what yeah. ends up on screen. And, yeah. and, and on many levels, very theologically confusing as well. And, and I sort of find, I find that, I, I find it hard to kind of try and like, unthread the theology if you like of of, of raging bull because it because it seems yeah. to me just a, a movie like very a very sort of dante-esque dante-esque levels of hell sort of movie you know yeah he's, you know, except you know, he starts off in hell and just goes further and further and further down Deeper. you know and, and and i think i think taxi drive is a bit more a bit more complex i don't know what i don't know what god's lonely man means in, in mm. like... before toxic masculinity became a buzzword we had martin scorsese movies yeah, I thought that was that's that's pretty, that was another one by Sean Burns. I thought that was uh, yeah. um, a great little quote. I'm brilliantly done. I'm brilliantly mm. done. You know, I'm, I'm very honestly done because you know, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like there are there are many many more more charmless, um, vicious men out there than there are charming vicious men. So it's so it's 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 a risk. It's a, I think it's a laudable risk. And I, I you know, I sort of. Like when we're talking about two thousand and one, I you know I was nev never in any doubt this movie is a masterpiece that deserves its place. It, interestingly enough, I think it, it left the BFI um, top one hundred because they do it every ten years. It just it was it was one of the few there, there were a few films that were kind of conspicuously kind of shunted out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which wow. in this day and age, you know, there's 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 a, there's a sort of distancing from films that. Even cover the subjects. Yeah, I don't think it's a problematic picture because I don't think at any point you're oh. kind of you're kind of rooting for the rooting for the wife beater. You're not, are you? But maybe it's just considered too much of a rough ride in today's you know climate, and and, and it's just been. Or, or 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 I think there's I think there's a sort of downgrading about uh, directors who are seen as overtly macho because to to my horror and you know, the what the wild but the, there's no pecking par in the FI top hundred. So, so okay. yeah, the wild bunch is shunted out. And, and moonlight is is slotted in, yeah. And it's just like yeah. The wild bunch is about like old, nasty, vicious, violent White women, men. No, men, women, <laughs> men who, <laughs> you know. And the only women in it are like basically Mexican, Mexican prostitutes. So, Raging Bull was uh, uh, made black and white because uh, Scorsese had found out that a lot of the color film was degrading. Yeah, uh, this film would be a different film if it was in color. And, and also, and also, I think he 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 liked the the old he liked the old black and white boxing. boxing movie. He didn't famously didn't like boxing, but he, he liked the old black and white boxing movies. You know, like the the setup and the champion. He liked. I think I'm right in saying that he was quite influenced by you know Ouija. You know the the um, the crime scene photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and the Ouija, I, you know, the Ouija photographs are astonishing. You know, and so and, and so he he was he was a sort of fixture. At, he was a fixture of fights. Did some great. Photographs of fighters and great photographs of 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 sort of you know fighting halls in Los Angeles and uh, and you know is even actually in he has he has a cameo in the in, in the Killers you know the the Burt Lancaster version of the Hemingway story he's one of the photographers in in the fight in the in the boxing okay. sequence there yeah he has like uncredited Killers but and, and also I think I think one of one of the saving graces of it being shot in black and white is it probably makes the bloodletting a lot more palatable because the the blood's like black treacle isn't it and you know you can get away you can get away with more 
bloodletting if the film's in black and white these days. Because yeah. he, he clearly clearly didn't have a problem with bloodletting. Oh, no, he did. No, he's, he's always had problems because they have to have that red filter over the end of uh, Taxi Driver, wasn't it? That was a concession to stop you getting an ex-certificate. You know, when ah, you do that over, overhead that. shot of the, of the aftermath of, of De Niro's sort of rampage through the Hell's Kitchen the, brothel. the dripping. Yeah, yeah, all of that, yeah, and, and you know, and, and yeah, because there's the sort of blood everywhere. But so they put a, they put a sort of red filter to mitigate against the kind of splurting blood of you know the the, the big gun battle at the end of Taxi Driver. So so this is interesting little, and I, I I think this is probably just a an accidental you know kind of benefit to the film that makes it a little bit more watchable if you've got a weak stomach. Uh, or, or a sensitive stomach. Don't mean to make moral judgments on people's capacity to absorb domestic <laughs> violence. Of it's not, not necessarily laudable quality to just to have a high, high, high tolerance for sort of domestic violence. But it's, uh, but, but I mean, you know, the, the domestic violence sequence is optically bloody. It's the boxing scenes. The boxing scenes are very, very bloody, as 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 boxing matches were. I suppose you just remember, like there's that there's that cut, isn't there, where where the, where you just see the spurt of blood and it like yeah, and, and the blood spraying. dripping off the the blood dripping off the ropes and whatnot. Yeah, yeah which he'd seen, hadn't he seen before, uh, like from a previous fight or something? He'd seen some. Yeah, I think he'd, he'd been or... to a couple of fights, and yeah, you know, and, and that, that was an image. And I've seen, and they're disgusting. I mean, I used I used to go to like boxing matches in Nottingham when the Nottingham middleweight Carl Froch was kind of fighting a lot. And I remember seeing uh, there's a boxer Herbie Hyde get get an eye cut. First time I'd actually seen a proper like eye cut. And yeah. I mean, I wasn't wasn't close enough to ringside. We couldn't afford those seats, um, and you know, we were like way back. But but they 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 put it up on the screen, and it's just this gash above his eye. Yeah, it's horrific. The the shot coming from the basement, um, uh, following him, the steady cam shot that goes all the way through the crowd into the ring, and then like dollies up a little bit. Um, yeah. I hadn't noticed that that was one shot before. And it was only watching the watching the commentary that I was like, yeah. that Shoemaker was talking about it, saying that apparently they they had ten different takes, and Marty knew which one he wanted. But yeah. then when she went to the editing suite, um, uh, that one take was destroyed because of some oh, reason. Wow. So she had to then go and tell him because he was like, "That's perfect, you know, that's <laughs> the perfect one." But th this was the the second best one. But it's an incredible shot, and obviously, Goodfellas is famous for its um, going into yeah. the nightclub sequence yeah. with Henry and Karen, isn't it? You know, and um, and whereas this, I'm watching it and I didn't notice it. You know, I yeah, it looked great. Everything looks yeah. Great I, I can't I can't remember it. An incredible film, really incredible. Yeah, you know, it is. It is. It's 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 never it's never been one of my sort of. Um, like rewatchable Scorsese's, but despite being like a boxing fan and a boxing movie fan, because it's not a boxing film, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not, it's ostensibly. 10 minutes? 10 minutes Yeah, of 10 minutes to fight. So, and it's not really interested in how like the fight game works. And, uh, and they well, didn't I, want I, to do I, anything I, I, about I, prom that, I promised my dad I would mention him in the, in the podcast uh, because yeah. th this was a film that I didn't watch for ages um, because my dad didn't like it. My dad was a big influence on, on me. Like, obviously, he still is, you know, on, on, in terms of his recommendations. And he had a very good taste in cinema. He was a kind of mature student. He studied at Wimbledon College of Art. And, and he was part of a film club there. And he'd come back and tell me about Yojimbo. Right. Uh, and he'd tell me about uh, Kings of the Road, you know, Vin Bender's film. He saw a Razorhead there. And then, well, this had nothing to do with the, the film club. He saw it with my mum. They, they went on a date and, and he saw <laughs> Raging Ball at the cinema. 
I mean, clearly and, that's and, probably and why also, I didn't like it, right? If it's, a, yeah, it's not exactly not a date film, is it? Let's <laughs> come and see this movie about a man beating his wife. You know, and it was, <laughs> yeah. they, they went to see it. I have to ask him why he went to see it. He went to see it and he said there was something about the sound mix that just took him out of the film. Mm. And he just, he just didn't like it. You know, if my dad didn't like something, I just assumed it. I wouldn't like it, and then it, I think I don't. I think it was like probably I was probably in my twenties when I saw it the first time, and then thought, oh, I, I disagree with my dad on this. So there we go. Wow. <laughs> so, so shall, shall we? Shall we? Um, shall we set yeah. up next next episode? Wrap up. Wrap up. Yeah. yeah. So we we've had two quite intense movies. Um, you know, obviously, you know, like like the sort of the the, the great lofty themes. You know, are metaphysical themes of uh of of of, of 2001 and then we should be down in the gutter with jake lamotta so we're going to lighten it up next time and we're going to do a comedy um and we're gonna punch up at mel brooks with young frankenstein it's pronounced frankenstein another black and white movie made in the 1970s comedy classic heralded by many as the best thing mel brooks ever made and i don't yeah, great. So, I haven't seen it since probably the 1980s. Yeah. Um, and have very, very little recollection of it apart from um, uh, Igor. Um, Marty Feldman. It wasn't a film that I went back to and watched and went, yeah, yeah it's my favourite film. So I, I like comedy, by the way. I do. I'm not, I'm not a, a trasher yeah. and a noble art comedy. Yeah, I like comedy as well. We like comedy. Art. Let's let's uh, let's sign off on that on that positive yeah. note. After an hour or so, yeah. stuck in the stewer with Jake, the motto, the Bronx. Brilliant. Ball. Until All next right. time. Yeah, from signing from off. Nottingham, from Sydney. Peace. The mission has been completed. Groovy.